Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister. And we're going to talk about something very important. Dr. George Cavuto and Fran Lewis are going to talk about what is the science of reading, or really what is it, or is it not? The basic premise of the science of reading or structural literacy is focused on phonics, which is a student's ability to sound out words or be able to understand how groups of letters sound together. Sounds very interesting, but basically it says it's the systematic, explicit and systematic teaching of phonetic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. I think I have that memorized. So good morning, Dr. Cavuto, and we're going to start with what is your, what is your take on the science of reading? Good morning, friend. Um, in a nutshell, when I first heard about the science of reading, um, I was um, more than a bit skeptical because both of us know that uh, reading over the past, uh, oh, let's say since Edmund Burke Huey in 1898, has always been um, somewhat controversial. And uh, add to that, uh, we're all flesh in 1950. Uh, with his book about uh, the the reading crisis in America because we're not teaching in a phonics. And then Gene Shaw uh, about the reading wars. Mm-hmm. Do you teach phonics or should you teach look, say? And uh, she did warn against extremes. And then we had the whole language movement, which most people confused with whole word, which of course it isn't. So I, I thought the science of reading was simply another fad. But Preparing for a talk today, and I thank you for that opportunity, Fran, uh, I I dove into it, and I dove into it deeply, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you about it today. So how would you like to start? Okay, here we go. I got this, I think. Um, it's just a matter of, I'm reading, I read this article, I did a whole bunch of research so I would know what I was talking about. New York City announced on Tuesday it is switching its 32 districts, encompassing hundreds of schools, to the science of reading. Basically, it said that on May 23rd, 2023, teachers are supposed to be trained in this. So I asked some teachers. They had no clue. None mm-hmm. whatsoever. Really, they had right. no clue whatsoever as to what this is. And they were like, I'm waiting to hear how you define these terms because I've got a whole bunch of definitions of phonemic awareness, phonics and word recognition, fluency, vocabulary, text comprehension, oral skills, reading comprehension, background, and all the rest of it. And from what I read, plus orthographic mapping and how individuals anchor words into their site vocabulary, I mean, I couldn't believe that the fact that they're going to do away with reading circles, reading groups, and the way they're going to teach um, oral fluency. So 
Here we go. Phonetic phonological awareness teaches students to recognize and manipulate oh, yeah, yeah, the sounds within words. Move from syllables to the individual sounds of phonemes. Explicitly connect phonemes to letters to more effectively support word decoding. Huh? <laughs> well, I think I said that right. <laughs> you said that perfectly. Uh, I, I have to just tell you a little bit of an aside related to your point. Um, in that, as you know, I, I've been out of the academy for a while. I'm probably going to get back in, going to get back uh, in uh, fairly soon because I have to teach a course. I'm getting the uh, heebie-jeebies. But I'm, I'm just about finished with my second book, so uh, the time may be right. But I keep getting these um, uh, help-wanted uh, things from uh, Indeed.com, and I'm amazed that Harcourt mm -hmm. Brace, and uh, many of the other publishers are advertising mm -hmm. for literacy, literacy the, the specialists to train teachers to go into schools and train teachers. Now, here's the big one. You ready? And I thought it was mm -hmm. that interesting. That, that, that goes hand in hand with this new science of reading because there are, anyway, uh, there are three, three main precepts. It must be evidence-based. It must have explicit instruction. And it must have absolute, the necessity must be absolute for professional development for teachers. Now, in these ads, friends, ready when you read through the whole thing, sounds wonderful. I was written by a, a you know, an HR person who also had a reading specialist uh, sitting by him or her. Uh, mm -hmm. But minimum requirements, bachelor's degree. Bachelor's degree. This is going to be the expert they're looking for. However, and they pay $18 an hour, but once you go through three months of Harcourt Brace uh, training, then it goes up to $70 an hour. This is nothing oh, more than sending, sending a neophyte to try to make teachers into reading specialists. Brand, this is absolute, unequivocal nonsense. I agree with you. You know, I texted one of the teachers in my school, and I said, who helps you when you don't know what to do with reading? So she said, we have a reading coach, a reading specialist, and a reading staff developer. Okay, what exactly do they do? What reading program are you working with? She mentioned something that I looked up, and it was strictly phonics. It was Wilson. Forget that. Yeah. So she yeah. said, um, well, well, they do push in. Excuse me. Can I interrupt you for a moment? I, I, you know, as a proficient reader, and if there's anyone uh, with yeah. whom I'm acquainted who is uh, a voracious reader is Fran Lewis. So as a, I, as a voracious reader, uh, do, do you tap words? Do you tap out words that you have difficulty with? This, this is absolutely ridiculous. But please continue. I had to just point that out. Wilson is the most ecologically invalid mm -hmm. reading program out there. And who is it being adopted by thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of schools? It's, a, it's being adopted for everyone having some difficulty in reading, just the, just the youngsters who need a really, really strong, ecologically sound program are getting this tapping of words that teachers have a hard time understanding. Uh, let me, let me, let, me uh, let you continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that, that's fine because your opinion matters because basically I was in the diner one day <laughs> and I'm looking at this yeah. girl explaining to her mother 
the reading program she's using. And I stared at her. I said, what exactly are you doing? She says, well, we snap and tap out the letters. I go, and what do you do? How do the children decode? What do they do? And she started to say, mm, uh, I said, oh, my God. I said, did they learn to yeah. read? She says, well, it's December. They learned three words. I said, I taught yeah. first grade, and by December they were reading the second grade. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, seriously. Well, this is this other one article. This I mean, I have a whole bunch here. They don't start with phonological awareness or phonemic awareness. They start with print concepts. Print concepts refer to the ability to read left to right and top to bottom on a page, as well as knowing how to hold a book, knowing the front of the book from the back, and knowing which way to turn the pages. Yeah. Friend, oftentimes, uh, and again, I hope you don't mind if I jump in, but you're, you're giving me do. good openings. <laughs> Yes, you give me perfect openings. Those things are typically referred to as the, quote, conventions of written discourse or the conventions mm -hmm. of print. Now, how do children learn the conventions of print? Well, quite honestly, they learn the conventions of print when they're two, three, four, five on their mom or dad's lap. As mom and dad read to them, they see mom and dad read it left to right, they have a mm -hmm. sense that those scribbles on the page have meaning because the parents are reading out loud to them. And they they have a sense that um, if um, they, they, they also, uh, as they're, they're learning the conventions of print, that they do read from the left to the right in English orthography as opposed to right to left in mm -hmm. Hebrew. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. They, 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 and, and, they don't. Yeah, it's sad. It's and sad. Yeah, and, and but I what Scott said is you can't disagree with that. Kids need to learn the conventions of print. What's said about it is that they're not making the point that literacy is not a school phenomenon. Literacy is a cultural phenomenon. What does that mean? That means that all stakeholders, parents, caretakers, religious organizations, non-religious organizations, Schools, of course, have a part to play in children's literacy development. Children should learn, should have learned the conventions of print, this is your point about it being said, before entering the hallowed halls of our institutions, correct? I, I agree. You know, I, list, I ask people in the, that I meet in the elevator, there's, there's a man that meets me in the elevator. He thinks I'm outrageous. He really admires the fact that I do this. And yeah. he says he reads like a couple of books a day. He doesn't read what I read, but he asks me, you know, what do you think and blah, blah, blah. It's nice to have a conversation. But I, I ask children in the elevator, what do you read? My iPad, my my, yeah. my phone, my, my yeah. watch television. And then I went and I looked up. This really got me because they said that they use decodable readers. We'll have to get to that. I printed out and printed them out, and I taught first grade for a while, and – I would never use decodable readers, ever. I mean, yeah. the, the, everything is one sound. The first grade book well, is one sound. The second grade book right. is like whatever. And some of the comprehension questions that they ask on grade four are very interesting, but why don't you, you're going to have to teach the skill for every one of those things so they understand what text and what kind of, you know, series or what kind of information, science, social stuff, whatever, that you're asking them they don't understand. 
So exactly. So when you talk about decodable decodable text, right? Yeah. You, for your listeners who may not have heard that term before, who may have heard it and understood it, or even for the ones who heard it and know what it is, if we if I could be a little bit uh, redundant, the decodable readers sound like this. Dan and Nan ran. Mm-hmm. Dan and Nan ran to the Dan van. Nan and Dan ran to the Dan van to get the... The show's tag not going to be broccoli, all right? It's going to be a word that rhymes. And the whole idea mm-hmm. of decodable text is make it so phonetically consistent that the children don't have to suffer with it and they learn that and closer. I have no problem with them learning that and closer. The problem I have is, as our hero in the field of reading, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but he's mine, and I think he's become both of ours, Edmund Burke Huey in The Psychology mm-hmm. and Pedagogy of Reading, mm-hmm. written in 1898, published in 1903 by Macmillan. He called those kinds of books, and they had them way back when, he called them sentence hash. Sentence hash and how dare we inflict these upon children? That's a quote. Incredible, huh? And in 2023, here we have, there is four or five people who are really the, the movers and shakers of this science of reading program. And we could talk about them if you'd like. I think we should. Uh, who are very, very, very big on the whole idea of decodable text. They should read Huey's text and Huey's warning in 1903. How dare we inflict this kind of nonsense on children? It teaches them that reading is a senseless, meaningless activity. <sighs> what a shame. It, it's, it's scary. I mean, I was yeah. lucky because the kids that I work with like to read, and the sixth graders. Yeah. And the first graders, they just didn't know they liked to read. <laughs> I told right. them. I mean, yeah. seriously, I was like, how could you not want to pick up a book and read? And my mother and father never read anything, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, which, is, which is amazing that I turned out this way. But I was looking at one of the kindergarten things, and I'm looking at this, and it's like, it says, research shows that phonological and phonemic awareness is crucial to reading success. Students must be aware of that language can be broken down, oh God, into different ways and manipulated to make new sounds and words. Now, right. I don't know about that. And all I know is that when, when I went through this, and I said, like, I can't believe that. Well, there was one lesson where the teacher said, I'm going to say a word, and if the word begins with the same letter as the one that I said, thumbs up. Right. I was like, right. you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, well, what about, how, how, and the same kind of thing, friend. I walked into a classroom observing teachers when I was doing my doctoral dissertation uh, titled uh, Teacher Feedback to Student Miscue as a Reflection of Teacher Theoretical Orientation to Reading. Kind of a long title, but I was basically looking at what do teachers say when kids read a word incorrectly. And what the teachers say absolutely reflected that theory of reading. In any case, reason um, uh, to your point, uh, I, I saw a teacher who prior to her lesson was reading right from her uh, uh, her scripted uh, scripted basal reader uh, teacher uh, guide, and they were talking about 
and she was a very you know, lovely, lovely teacher, but this is what she was teaching. Boys and girls, today we're going to talk about, this is a free reading activity. We're going to talk about CVC words. Oh, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. a word like cat or mop or uh, a cat, and that's a word that has a, a consonant, a vowel, and a consonant. And that, the good news, boys and girls, is every time you see a word that has a consonant, a vowel, and a consonant, the vowel does not say its name. The vowel is going to be short. Huh? So once we remember learn that rule, we're going to be able to read all the CVC words. Does that make sense? And friends, I looked at the kids' physiognomies. I looked at their faces. Every one of them had that look on their face like, I'm in big trouble. This is so complicated. And what I, what I thought of is, doesn't that teacher realize, and I know she doesn't, unfortunately, because she's reading from the darn script. She doesn't realize That's that exactly right. phonic rules are a complex. They're incredibly complex. When you talk about a letter... Actually, a letter is an abstraction. Uh, But when you start talking about a letter and it being a consonant, it's a second-degree abstraction. When you talk about a letter being a short or long vowel, it's a third-level abstraction. And this is a first- or second-grade classroom, and I'm saying, are you kidding me? Even these kids who are this might have been probably the middle or the lower group, but even the middle group, even the higher group, they, they put that rule on the board, they explain it, then the kids get to the reading of the, the text, which is decodable text that has a lot of words, CBC words, uh, you know, tap the, tap the map, and, uh, and they read them correctly, and the teacher makes the incorrect assumption, look at that, you learn the rule. Nonsense. They read the word in spite of the rule, not because of it. I'm I'm looking at that how they what they're going to do to change the way they read, okay? Yeah. This 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 teacher this really got me. In phonemic awareness activity, you will need four index cards, three in one color and a fourth in another color, a pocket chart, optional matching cubes for students. Uh huh. And 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 what is the point of that? I'm trying to figure out. Yes. And then there's the yes. next page on it. Begin with your three same colored index cards in the pocket chart. Now, this really gets you'll love this. Tap each card as students help you segment, segment the word. Then have the students yeah. make a karate hand. They will chop as you move either the first or last card to the side, depending on which phoneme you are deleting. Unbelievable. Grand, and I'm saying, you know, if I taught that, I would just take, oh, my God, no. Well, were you, if you were teaching that, Fran, or if I were teaching that, we would have to stand very far away from the windows so we don't throw ourselves out. Because yeah. that is such a nice As you think about it, what, 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 and, and again, I think we really, uh, because we could, we could spend the next 45 minutes talking about the absolute absurdity of the science of reading movement. And that's what it is, a movement. A movement, quite honestly, with no, no, um, uh, uh, strictly, and I'm sorry, uh, clearly stated underpinnings. Uh, but uh, uh, my, my point is that if if you look at it, it, it this is this is sad revisited. They took a little bit from words and color. That's what you were talking about. 
they took a little bit from uh, the, you know the the, the, the word wall. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they took a little bit from everything. But if I may, can can we just talk? Uh, if I may, or if you'll mm-hmm. allow me, sure. talk a little bit about phonemic awareness. Phonemic awareness is very simple. It's not simple to do, but it's simple to define. It's defined as, and I'll define it with my own work. It's a, a, an individual's knowledge of the sounds of spoken language. Ah, that's phonemic awareness, as opposed to phonics, which is an individual's knowledge of the sounds of written language, okay? So, mm-hmm. if a teacher says, let's look at that word, let's look at this uh, picture. Well, what is it? Get rid of that fire engine. Good. Can you tell me what, what letter does that word fire begin with? Now, that is, I don't have a problem at all with that. All right? That is a phonemic awareness activity. You're teaching him the, the sound of the spoken word that you're, you're, in fact, reading to him. That's not a problem. Phonics, I'm sorry, phonemic awareness involves two parts, phonemic Segmentation and phonemic integration. I'm going to make this very simple. Not for you. You have a master's degree in reading. You have three master's degrees. But this is for your listening audience. And hopefully we have lots of teachers who are interested. Okay? Phonemic integration is, in my view, critical important, critically important. And number two, if it's taught properly, it's easy. Now, well, how, how would you teach... Um, Phonemic awareness properly, in my view, teach clusters, teach letter clusters. In fact, in my oh, 18 credits of speech that I had in my doctoral degree, I'm almost a speech, mm-hmm. speech therapist, okay, I learned that the smallest unit that the human ear can actually perceive is not the letter. We don't hear individual letters. We hear uh, morphemes. We hear clusters of letters. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So if you say mad, mm, I'm sorry, people say mm, ah, put it together. The problem with that is M in the beginning of words it never says mm. It never says mm. Otherwise, Michael would be calling himself mm, Michael. Okay? So that's a big problem in the world. Teachers, teachers don't even know, and not all of them, but some of them don't even realize that because the, the, the guy tells them M says mm. It doesn't. But mm, mm, ah, now that's phonemic integration. The only problem I have with that is m, at, mat is so much easier. Okay. Or how about this one? Then that's on an actual phonemic awareness test. That word was carpenter. Done letter by letter phonemic integration. Horrendous. In fact, most adults can't do that. When I do that in my graduate classes, when I did that in my graduate classes with teachers, they wouldn't be able to do it. They'd look embarrassed. They said, don't be embarrassed. It's hard. Let's try it a different way. R, S. All of a sudden, it becomes easy. You're only doing three integrations and not five. Okay? So phonemic awareness is important. How do they learn it? They learn it. A couple of ways. I learned number one by being exposed to a lot of rhyming books, right? Even even mm-hmm. good nonsense Doctor Zeus books uh, are fine for developing an ear for the sounds of language. Okay, here's thing one, here's thing two. What do we wonder what they're gonna do? The little and poetry. The little girl had a little curl right in the middle of a forehead. 
When she was good, she was very, very good. When she was bad, she was. And my kids, when I'd reach them, would yell out, horrid. What are they? I didn't know I was developing phonemic awareness, but I was. Okay. That's phonemic integration, friend. Now, if I may, phonemic segmentation, that should be against the law. That's when you say to the youngster, I'm going to tell you a word, and I want you to give me the constituent sounds of that word. Friend, if teachers don't believe that, that is absolutely a, if I want to be fancy, an ecologically invalid test. We never do that in life. Never, ever do we segment words into the individual sounds, except in schools when teachers are forced to do these individual exercises. Because we might say, um, I have a dog. Can you tell me the sounds in dog? Even if we say, can you tell me the sounds in map? Then the kid has to think about it. uh, Now that one's not bad. It sounds, but it is actually a, as I said, it's a, it's an incredibly, um, what's the little word? It's just it's a nonsensical activity. And once you get to words of more than three letters, it's almost impossible to do. It should be banned. So unit segmentation shouldn't be encouraged in schools. It should be integration. It should be phonemic uh, integration should be encouraged. And if I may, with clusters of sounds. And that doesn't mean that because you're teaching them and you're helping them develop phonemic awareness using letter clusters, that you then go from that to ridiculous decodable text that manipulates the descendants so that they get uh, they get practice in that. You know, an open court, which is a big, it's really, if you look at SOR, if I may, science mm-hmm. of reading, it really does push a lot of programs, uh, kind of a... Uh, 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 some raw sounds that were, uh, 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 a soft voice. I, you, you, I, I mm-hmm. hear just the way they're talking. I hear open court, okay, being talked about. I hear Wilson being talked about. Uh, I hear Odin, Gill- Odin Gillingham being talked about. I, I actually know Odin Gillingham, not open court. But open court also is a, is a, uh, a letter-by-letter good uh, phonetic program. So, mm-hmm. if I may... Phonemic awareness, knowing an awareness of the sounds of spoken language is, I think, important to do in reading. My oldest son, who turns 50 this year, God bless him, and oh my goodness, God bless me that I'm uh, getting to be 100 here. But uh, when he was three years old, we used to send the car on long trips, and he had a little heebie-jeebies, but he'd be labeled ADHD, right? But because he couldn't sit still, I'd, I'd sit in the back with him, put him on my lap, and I'd say, uh, just to make him stop moving around and, and making us crazy. Uh, and we'd be, of course, be talking with him. He was, he was, he was a little heebie-jeebie-ish. Uh, I would say, uh, I'm thinking of a word. It sounds like rip. We're going on one. It's called that. And he would get, look at me. I guess this And after I'd do a few for him, I'd say, trip. Ah, I could do that. Dad. And I'd make them up as we went along. Grant, I didn't know I was doing phonemic awareness training, but I was, okay? And David is his name. By the time he was three and a half, he was reading what's called environmental print, stop signs, zellies, uh, uh, McDonald's. Well, mm-hmm. that natural early readers, which I've done a considerable amount of research on because he was one, 
So was my second child, and it was embarrassing because both of them were able to read and understand before they went to school, and I sure as heck didn't teach them, but I was pursuing a Ph.D. in reading, so people just said, oh, daddy taught them. But I did, and my wife did read to them every night without exception. I'm in the car playing that game with my son and five other kids. We're in a van in Florida, everybody visiting this little condo we have down there, and I'm playing that game, and I'm noticing all of the kids are not getting answers. So I have to gag my son so he gives the other children a chance. And, friend, Lou, I, I could, by the time I went from one stop to the next, I could see which kids in the group had really good phonological awareness, and that meant they had a leg up on the process. My son surprised me because he said, look at that, that's Hollywood Boulevard. And I know, friend, he had never seen Hollywood Boulevard before. So that was when my sense was, uh, I guess you really can read. And and it turns out he was an early reader. I put it in the paper. I got 20 parents with kids like that. I put an ad, can you go around to read? Three or four years old, two, three, four years old. Send me a letter, Dr. Kabuto. I'd like to test them, uh, uh, assess them at Dallin College with your you present. And I have them all on videotape, friend. And it's wonderful. I still hear from them. Uh, and now I know how it's done. I know how natural readers do it. Way back then, I didn't know it. But um, I think that's enough for me to go on phonics, phonemes, awareness. But if I may, uh, this segmenting and integration, one thing mm-hmm. that's missing that they forget to tell you, English language is not like Spanish or Italian. In the English language, we have 60 graphi- uh, Sorry, I'm sorry. We have uh, 26 graphemes, you know that, everybody knows that, 26 mm-hmm. letters that have to make 44 sounds. Those are phonemes. Well, if we have 26 letters trying to make 44 sounds, we're not going to have one-to-one correspondences like they have in Spanish and Italian where almost everything spells out, or sounds out, and that's why it's so easy to spell in those languages. In English, we have words like mother and there, and were, and thought, and caught. And you can be pretty phonic, granny phonic. You cannot sound out those words. Now, do you need flashcards for them? Oh, heck no, you don't need flashcards. You need to be taught how to use semantic and syntactic cues to read those words mm-hmm. in meaningful sentences. And if I read one more article on the science of reading where they poo the three queuing systems, as if it was a methodology, I'm going to scream. And this is my last sentence, and then I will be, I'll stop being impolite and give you a chance. But it, 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 the three healing systems were, I think, first talked about 1957 in Noam Chomsky's book, Syntactic Structures. We talked about phonological cues, semantic cues, and syntactic cues. And mm-hmm. Chomsky clearly said, this is how language works. There's, and not one linguist in the world argue with Chomsky. Semantic, syntactic, and graphophonic. And the best readers learn to flexibly use all three queuing systems. God, I can't believe how many articles on SORI read where they talked about, they actually, if I may, poo-pooed the three queuing systems as if, oh, we don't believe in that. Give me a break. This is how language works. 
and they talk about the science. But if you want to talk about the science, you better have an in-depth knowledge. And you know what? Your undergraduate degree is not going to do it. An undergraduate degree in reading, because you have a six credits in reading, probably. Your master's degree in reading and it's from a really good institution, and I worked at one where I ran the program and I wrote the program without bragging, but it had 30 credits in reading and six electives, six credits of electives only. Our students graduated and they got jobs right away because they knew their stuff. And uh, I'm going to stop for a moment. I think I covered phonetic awareness and phonics. Uh, by the way, do you, do you have to teach phonics? Absolutely. Uh, do you have to teach to everyone? Absolutely. The kids who already know it somehow, and some kids intuit it by themselves. It gets from the left hemisphere to the right just by being read to. So I've learned that a long time ago, that kids, when, when kids hear something that they know already, they just ignore it. So let them ignore it. They're on sabbatical for 15 minutes. But most kids need to learn the relationship between the letters and the sound. Will that work all the time for them? No. So what will they do? They will use meaningful text, not decodable nonsense. Mm -hmm. They'll use meaningful text where they can use meaning cues. He wants you to go to the top of the building. He went inside and he pressed the button. He went up to floor three. He went on the, he went on the, and the, good, honey, sound it, sound it. Friend, I would say, sound my, excuse me, <laughs> sound of my butt. Come on. See, what word do you think makes sense there? Now, if the kid doesn't have appropriate background knowledge or appropriate schema, he's not going to know. That's a problem. That's a real problem. In fact, I've always mm -hmm. said, you give me a youngster with adequate, appropriate schemata, aging grade appropriate, give him any learning disability you want. You want to give him dyslexia? You want to give him ADD? You want to give him aphasia, apraxia? I will teach that youngster to read. I'm not saying I'm going to get him right on grade level, but I will teach him to read, okay? And uh, I will teach him to read by teaching him how to flexibly use all three language queuing systems. Okay, I, I agree. I had a student, like I said, in first grade. <laughs> I was like shell shocked, and yeah. the they told me how to use Bank Street. Actually, yeah. that probably was the best, fastest way to. They we read the Inner City, whatever, and of course I made up my own stories, my own questions, and everything. And they didn't use phonics back then at all that particular year. And these kids were reading. By the end of the year, I, like I said, I told them, I said, you guys are 12. By the time I get done with you, you're going to be reading fourth grade. They were reading my third and fourth grade, first, the, the readers, with comprehension skills because I refused to stick with what the book said. And the teachers right. guide said, and I said, that's not going to work. Then the following year, they used Lippincott. Now, Lippincott yeah. is strictly phonetic. So I did uh -huh. something that if my principal ever found out, he probably would have killed me. The first five lessons are the short vowels. And all you're supposed to do is teach them. Ah, 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 ah. I go, that's just lovely. And you're supposed to see if they can find words, blah, blah, blah. And I said, we'll skip that part. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And the first yeah. sound is am. And I heard my friend teaching am. I said, why don't you say am? And put an R in front of it. Why don't you just give them, a, give them something? And I put the word, I put them in sentences, and I added more words, and living cut is hard. 
The only yeah. problem is with phonics and great, which is a great way to teach kids how to read. If they have an auditory discrimination problem, you got a problem. They don't. They don't quite oh, get it. Of course, of course. If they have an auditory discrimination problem, if they, yeah. if they're they're being asked to do phonemic segmentation, which as I yeah. said be, before, not to beat this uh, to death, but which is incredibly difficult to do. Uh, they they're going to convince themselves that they can't read because they can't do uh, 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 phonemic segmentation. Uh, again, if, when I did assessments at my reading center, and I someone asked me the other day, you know, you had that reading center for 38 years, and I only I only had to close it, and I shouldn't have when I had my unfortunate uh, uh, health situation in 2011. But in uh, 38 years that I owned it, I did every single in-depth evaluation with students. An hour and mm-hmm. a half, two hours, no number two pencil, obviously. Uh, I, I chatted with them a little bit, developed rapport, then I would do a, uh, a test of uh, word recognition. No, ecologically invalid because I did it in words in isolation, but that would give me a, po- a starting point. So from there, I would know which which paragraphs to recommend to test the comprehension, reading comprehension mm-hmm. using informal reading inventory. Then after that, after I knew what reading level they were on, I'd also do a MISQ analysis. After that, then I would I would give them the Peabody picture. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, if the if the if they had really difficulty decoding, how can I give them a reading comprehension test? I can, but I could give them a listening comprehension test, which I did. And if the listening comprehension came out really good, or or at grade level, I'd tell the parent, you know what? The the, the ability to get this youngster on grade level is there because the only difference between listening comprehension and mm-hmm. reading comprehension and it is in reading you have to break the code. In listening, someone else is breaking the code for you. And if I, a lot of times dads, and I have to say dads were the most difficult when I had my, my follow-up consult, not right after the eval, the week after, because I, I don't want the youngsters sitting in the waiting room. I, and I insist I had both parents. I'll, I'll tell my husband, no, no, no. I need both parents. If you're a single parent, of, of course, that's fine. And, but I had more than a few dads who, as I was going through this, oh, Doc, you just hit it on the nail. He reads, he doesn't understand. You know what it is? He's lazy. I know he's lazy because you know what? Everybody tells me Bobby's a smart kid, but, but he's lazy. And, friend, I, I heard that so many times I had on my desk for exactly that moment a birthday card written in Braille. And I would hand it mm-hmm. to the father and say, oh, I got this uh, uh, birthday card for a friend of mine. Um, could, can you, what do you think of it? Would you read it? So I looked at it, and you kind of, Brownie, they would look at it, the many dads who had this lazy syndrome, huh? and I, I can't read this. It's a Braille, right? Yeah. You can't read, you can't read Braille? No. Oh, well, what, let's just talk about what it says. Well, I don't know. I, I don't. I can't. I don't, I don't understand it. That's your son's problem. It's not the lazy. It's that he can't break the code. If you can't break the code, you're in big trouble. Okay. So we don't have to. Mm-hmm. Use the lazy or the second big one, immature. We don't have to use that nonsense. Are there some lazy kids? Of course. Are there some immature kids? Of course. But you know what? Sometimes those just mask the real problem. They haven't been taught to do two things. Did you code? And secondly, we have to use the C word brand, right? To comprehend. 
give me a break. That should be a real biggie. That is not one of the, let's see. Yeah, text comprehension is one of the five pillars of science of reading. Phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and text comprehension. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. I would put it first, but be that as it may. Um, we talked about phonemic awareness. We talked about phonics and word recognition. Uh, do you need to know phonics to recognize words? Yes. Will phonics get you all the words? No. Brand uh, a little vignette because I just love stories. I was hired by, I, I had a lot of invitations to the public speaking. Um, I, why? I think because I, I, I had a PhD, I knew language inside out more than my PhD. I tested about 3,000 students in my 38 years. So between the, the educational background and the, 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 the pragmatic doing the thing, I, I think if, well, it was one thing in life that I, that, um, I, I think I'm, I, I'm fairly good at. Uh, not much else, but, but reading I know in depth. So I was hired by a, a school here among them, the parochial school, to talk with the teachers. And uh, I, I got to this talk about the 2644 problem, 26 letters said 44 sounds. Mm-hmm. And I think I said, you can be Franny Phonics, Freddy Phonics. You can't sound out a word like caught or bot or friend or you. How do you sound out you? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, no, those are phonetically inconsistent words. And, and I think Owen Gillingham, they called them outlaw words. Give me a break. Uh, anyway, and and then I said, and the rules, the rules are more difficult. There are 156 phonic rules. There's an article mm. written by, I used to know his name, uh, but it'll come to me. Uh, a reading specialist, of course. 156 phonic rules, of which only 50% of them worked. 50% of the time. In other words, only 50% of the rules worked, and only half of the time, and the rules were so complicated that there's no way the kids could understand them. Uh, so, um, so I was right at this point in my in my lecture to the and I never lecture. My lectures always uh, uh, interactive. We go back and forth. So this one nun, I, I when I talked about the rules, and I can say she was must have been uh, I don't know mother superior or whatever. She was there a long time, and she put her hand up very. Adam and Lane said, uh, young man, I like that. <laughs> Adam mm-hmm. said, young man, I said, I said, yes, sister, I can't agree. Okay, sister, with what don't you agree? Well, I teach second grade, and by the end of second grade, all of my students know all of the rules. So what? So, so all, but Fran, all of the other people in the room, some were nuns. Others were lay teachers. Oh, God. All of, them kind of, all of them kind of looked away embarrassed because they know this is, this is the, number one, it's an impossibility. But sometimes I can't help myself. So I kind of looked at her, but I try to be respectful. So I said, Sister, uh, there are 156 rules. Are you telling me that all of you students know all 156 bonnet rules? Ah, uh, that's what I said, young man. So but I can they use them and employ them to decode words? And you know what I'm twice. finding also is that parents, yeah. are t- parents are not making reading very paramount. 
I, I listen to parents in the elevator. I watch the kids out walking with their iPads. I know my nephews use the iPads, but I know my nephew reads a lot. I don't know about the other one because he's autistic, but I know he can read. And the four-year-old loves to read. And I said, uh-huh. what are they teaching them in their school? They're using the science of reading. What program? Nobody knows. Parents don't know. Parents don't seem to feel that it's necessary to make reading the most important thing. And sometimes I wonder if these parents comprehend what they're reading. And that that gets that gets to me also. I mean, yeah. I, my mother said to me, you have to read. I go, you don't have to tell me anything. I know I want to read. I was reading right. when I was three, and I couldn't tell you how I read. But the other thing is that it's crazy. When you get a group of children that come in that are 13 years old in the fifth grade and say to you, I don't know when the letters of the alphabet, I don't know anything. And you look at them and I go, okay, let's see what you do know. They really knew nothing. They didn't even know what A was. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at them and I said, okay, I'm going to have to come up with something. Because right. some one of the kids said, you see that kid over there? He said, you're the best teacher in the world to teach reading. I said, no, that's not fair. I said, it's the truth, but that's not fair. And <laughs> there was, there's, a, there's a series that does work, but it doesn't. it's called uh, Preventing Academic Failure. It's not the most huh? interesting, but it's called, the, the first sound is Anne. And I said, don't sound out the word. Just say Anne and put the, by the end of the, the hour, they were able to, read all the words and read all the, the whole yeah. book. And I'm saying, yeah. I mean, seriously, I'm looking at this next sec. We have about 10 minutes and we can talk about fluency. And this yes. is really, this is what got to me. Cause there are whole class fluency drills. Give me a break. We project mm-hmm. these on the board and students are able to review previously learned skills in a spiral review, like a notebook. This is our daily warm-up in the Empowering Little Readers Kindergarten Phonics Program. Fluency sentences allow students to practice reading the same sentence multiple times for fluency. They could probably do it without reading the words. And they could read the sentence in different voices or expressions to keep this fun and engaging. Plus, time fluency drills. Time decoding and fluency drills are a great way to practice reading words in isolation fluently. Students can work repeatedly on the same skill as they increase speed and accuracy. It also says on some of these that the teacher reads the sentence and then they read it back. Or the teacher says the sentence and they say it back. Just because you can read, you know, you're saying it fluently doesn't mean you understand what you're reading. Nowhere in there does it say... It says, focus on the development of both automatic word recognition, fluid expression, keeping understanding of the text. But if the text puts you to sleep, what are you supposed to do? So, I mean, there are tens of definitions of fluency. And I don't think yeah, any I, of them, I don't think any of those are right, to be honest. Well, I think I have, I think I have a good one, Fran, to be honest with you. Number one, uh, reading words in isolation fluently is an oxymoron, if I may. Yeah. Uh, in fact, even, even McDonald's, Delicatessen, uh, flower shop, those words, children at three and four and five sometimes can read them. Oh, yeah. Those words, those words are in a meaningful context. They're not in isolation on, on, on sight word cards. They're on buildings that the McDonald's sign tells you that it says McDonald's. The, the, the gas pumps tell you, and, and, and it starts with a uh, uh, whatever, uh, I, I can't even think of a uh, a, a gas mix now, but uh, uh, if it if it has 
G, and they see gas pumps, they know it's a gas station. Uh, very simply say to friend, fluency really is what what is called automaticity. There are two kinds of decoding. Automatic decoding, which is defined as reading a word in one second or less, and there's non-automatic decoding, which is taking more than, or it's also called mediated decoding, which means something is getting between mm. you saying it and, 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 and something going on in your head. It's not immediate. But if you get it correctly, it's mediated decoding and it's accurate mediated decoding. Okay. Now, let's say a youngster is automatic with his decoding. If he's automatic with his decoding, I'll tell you what's going to happen if he's in second grade. He's the one who the teacher's going to call on to read out loud all the time. Oh, yeah. Because if he's because if he's automatic in decoding, he's going to get through it. He's going to sound good. He probably will not only be fluent, but his voice will go up, go down at the appropriate places, and he will get through it before it's time for the cafeteria. You sure as heck not going to call on uh, Bobby, Bobby who is struggling with getting the words. He gets them but it takes them forever. One can go to sleep. Well, Bobby's problem, if he gets them correctly, if he decodes them accurately, he has what I would call a, he's, a, he's an accurate decoder. Let's say he's in second grade and he decodes at end of the second grade level. That's okay. That's, that's, that's fine. But he's only automatic, and I can tell this from simple observation, uh, and, but he's only automatic through the primer level. Well, guess what? If that's the case, number one, Bobby's never going to be called on by the teacher to read out loud because, they, number one, or number one, it's going to take him forever. Or she may, or he or she may, call on Bobby, which is the worst thing in the world to do, because Bobby, the last thing Bobby wants to do in class is to read out loud. Just like yeah. I don't like when people ask me, show me how you can fix that doorknob. I can't fix squat. So if somebody says, show me how to do it, I say, you know what, let's go have lunch instead. Right. So, the bottom line is, friends, there's only one way to develop reading fluency, and there's only one reason, by the way. You see, this whole idea of becoming a fluent reader, so when you read out loud, you sound good, that's nonsense. In fact, I, I don't remember the, the person who was a reading expert. Uh, he called it a performance display. Reading out loud is a performance display. Yep. In fact, in Burke Huey's book, The Psychology and Pedagogy of Reading, there was something called the non-oral hypothesis, okay, which was around in 1898 where this, uh, I forget the book, well, I would know in 1898 anyway, uh, the name, but he, he developed a uh, non-oral hypothesis with the idea that there's no reason for children should read orally. They get the wrong idea by being constantly forced to read out loud. They should be reading silently, and they, they should be asked to ask questions about what they read, or should, they should be told to tell what they read. Bottom line, Brent, as you know, automat automaticity develops in reading the same way mm. it develops in any other aspect of life, by doing it, doing it, and doing it. Now, doing it in an authentic way. I get Michael Jordan developed automaticity in his foul shot and his jump shot by shooting thousands and thousands and thousands of foul shots and jump shots. So much so that it crossed from the left brain to the right brain and it became automatic. That's why Michael Jordan very rarely missed his jump shots and his foul shots. He mm -hmm. did sometimes, 
but he became automatic. Reading fluency simply means you got, and it's important, let me not diminish the importance, but you got, the reader became automatic by doing lots and lots and lots of reading. Do I like automaticity? Of course I like automaticity, because when the reader has automatic decoding, it does not drain attention from getting meaning. Do I like automatic decoding in and of itself? Of course not. The kid could be simply, as you know, this, you use this term last uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcast, uh, uh, the, it, there's a trade-off of attention going on. He's using so much attention, mediated decoding, that on his getting of the words, that he can't possibly remember what he reads and understand what he reads. And how do you fix that? Not with sight word cards. Oh, give me a break. Uh, not with color cards or all this other yeah, I know. crap that you talked about before. Uh, to, to me, that, that's probably why a year, a year and a half ago when they were putting all those articles in the Reading Research Quarterly, I stayed away from them. Why? My blood pressure really shouldn't go up. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my problem in 2011. We have about two more minutes, and let me see. Yes. Um, I'm looking at this, and I'm going like, this is this is really the worst. There are three elements for effective phonics instruction, hands-on approach, moving from presentation to practice, and showing the direct application to reading and spelling. Yeah, okay. Then there's also decoding, which is most fundamental. Sight word memory is called orthographic lexicon, orthographic mapping, and do you need to master the alphabetic principle? The article expands on how it relates to SOR. I don't think so. But I think for the next one we have to go into more fluency because I have my own thing about that, uh, vocabulary and oral language, and text comprehension. And I still hear people teaching words in isolation. A lot of teachers yeah. take a story and say, oh, mm-hmm. these are the words, the new words that you're going to learn. Let's talk about that. Why don't you put well, them I've in the context of, of the story? Why are you just isolating them? And, of course, there's the famous the word reader, wall. The basal reader guide tells them to put them on, on the whiteboard in isolation, right? Yeah. This is a, they this have is no a free reading activity. You're absolutely well, let me, right. Give them contact. Let me pick a month. <laughs> Let's see. I have, I have something on the 2nd of October, the 4th. I'm getting too popular. This is my problem. I have something Good. on the 9th, and I have something. No, I have somebody up to visit on the 18th in the Bronx. Um, I have one on the 26th. I just got that. A very famous author. Um, do I have one on the 24th? Yep, I do. I can do, oh gosh, October 9th I have one. I don't. October, I could do, yeah, do I have one on the 12th? Yep. I'm going to have to do, how about uh, November 1st? Did that work? Um, November 1st. I could do the 31st of October, the 1st or the 2nd because I'm getting okay, too yeah. popular. And I just settled. I just. I'm going to do a panel in December. Wonderful. Well, that's good. You, you should do uh, well because you do this. That what you do are excellent. In fact, I don't just listen to our podcast after we're done. I listen to the other interviews you do, and uh, you, you need to do more because you're very good at it. November yeah. second works fine. Number second. Okay, let me just put that yeah. in my schedule. I've never been so popular in my life. This is like insane. Good. But. These are the things that make me move ahead, and I get really upset when people don't think that reading is is important. 
to kids and they yeah. don't quite get it. And I also get yeah. upset when I speak to educators. My students are, are pretty smart. And I go, like, they're using the phonics approach. What book are you reading? What are you doing? And they go, how could you not know? You're the one standing in front of them, especially pre-K. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's mind-boggling. So definitely, yeah. let me know which before. talking points you want to do because I have the whole list here. Um, whichever ones you think are important. I know fluency and comprehension and vocabulary are paramount to kids who learn to read the right way, of yes, course. Yes, we, we, we could give more attention. Some we, some of those were in touch at all. Some will certainly will send this to you with uh, and highlight the things I, I think we should uh, stress on November 2nd. But if I make uh, for a minute, uh, you said sure. something before about I'm not sure how, how much uh, parents and adults really understand Friend, every class, every graduate course I taught for 28 years um, at Dowling College, where I was a professor, as you know, and at Lumen College, I would always ask my class, how many of you have, have had the experience? Of the class? These are teachers, graduate students, but they're all teachers. How many of you have had the experience where you read a page of print, you read a second page of print, you read a third, and you actually finish the chapter, and then you realize, oh, my God, I have no idea what I just read. And you know exactly all the words you read, but you and you solved maybe one or two other problems in your life, but didn't understand what you read. Fran, it's never happened that, if not all, a majority of the hands went up. That's called passive reading, and there's a way to fix it. And in my course, I would teach them how to fix it. Fix it but you are absolutely right. That's why parents have a hard time helping kids with their reading comprehension problems. And the ones that are good comprehenders really don't know why. So we, we could talk about meta-comprehension strategies next time. That's a wonderful mm -hmm. way to talk about active reading and locus of control and all that good stuff. Well, I think parents need to read more. And instead of saying one, one, one last point, there's someone, I won't say who it is, and I said to the person, uh, your daughter was given a book to read in her new high school over the summer. Did you read it? Oh, it's too much for her. I said, she's 14. The book is on grade 8. What is too hard oh for her? Well, oh, I don't boy. want. It's boring. I said you don't need to say that it's boring, and you don't need to say to her it's too hard. You need to say to her, pick up the book and read it, and then she needs to figure out. She says her daughter is dyslexic. I think she's wrong. I think she just has a major comprehension problem. And you know what really is scary is I offered to to do the full battery of tests for her for free, which would cost her money like a thousand dollars. And I said, I could tell you in five minutes, you know, whether she has a problem or not. And you know what? She's never going to make it. Yeah. Never going to make it because yeah. they don't think it's important. But on that note, this has been the best thing that's happened to me all week. Seriously. <laughs> wow. And you're, you're send me the talking points for November 2nd. If you need me to research anything, let me know because that's the most fun. Everybody, <laughs> it, it's a beautiful day outside, Dr. Your, your Dr. Caputo, thank you. Incredible <laughs> thank you so much. Night. I will send the link in a few minutes. Everybody have a, a happy day and bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.